Welcome to the NPTE Final Frontier Podcast, helping one student at a time. Visit NPTEFF.com to enroll today so you can pass tomorrow. Thank you for joining us here on the NPTE Final Frontier Podcast. My name is David. And my name is Nick. Today, we'll be discussing the testing of cranial nerves. So David and I will get right into more of the testing and atypical or abnormal findings of cranial nerves. If you would like to review more of the functions of specific cranial nerves, be sure to check out our previous content episode related more to the functions of cranial nerves. All right, so let's get started with cranial nerve number one, also known as the olfactory tract. Testing typically involves looking at the sense of smell at each nostril. One may typically utilize common, non-irritating odors for an individual to identify through both nostrils individually. So one may instruct to close off the non-testing nostril. Atypical or abnormal findings could include the inability to detect these common, non-irritating odors. And just for a reference, those odors can involve a great variety, but a good example can be something like coffee. Ah, good old coffee. I'm sure our listeners can go for some of that right now. Of but, course. Yeah, but let's get on to cranial nerve two, which is the optic nerve. Testing of the optic nerve typically involves testing for visual acuity and peripheral vision. The test for visual acuity is done by testing central vision through the Snellen chart. This will test each eye separately by covering the non-tested eye. You will have the patient stand from a distance of 20 feet from the Snellen chart. The test for peripheral vision or visual fields is done by confrontation. Possible abnormal findings may include blindness, myopia, which is impaired far vision, presbyopia, which is um, impaired near vision, or field deficits such as homonymous hemianopsia. Also testing for cranial nerve 2, optic nerve, and cranial nerve 3, ocular motor, is done by checking the pupillary reflex. You will test the pupillary reaction, which is the constriction of that pupil, by shining light into the eye. If the test is abnormal, then you want to test the near reaction. You'll also want to examine pupillary size and shape. Possible abnormal findings may be the absence of pupillary constriction, anisocoria, which is unequal pupils, also Horner syndrome, which we do to cranial nerve three paralysis. Next, we have cranial nerve three, four, and six, which would be ocular motor, trochlear, and abducens, respectfully. Typically, these three are tested all together. Testing of these cranial nerves is done by testing the for cicadic and pursuit eye movements. To test for cicadic, you have the patient look in each direction. To test for pursuit, you have the patient follow the moving finger of the physical therapist. Oculomotor supplies the superior rectus, inferior rectus, medial rectus, inferior oblique, and levator palpebrae superioris. These will turn the eye up, down, and in. It also elevates the eyelid. You will want to observe for eye position and test for eye movements up, down, and in. Possible abnormal findings would be strabismus, 
which is when the eye is pulled outward by cranial nerve six, which is saying that the eye cannot look up, down, and in. A patient may also present with ptosis or pupillary dilation. Prochlear supplies the superior oblique muscle, which turns an adducted eye down. Possible abnormal findings would be if the eye cannot look down when adducted. Abducens supplies the lateral rectus, which turns the eye outward. Possible abnormal findings would include esotopia, which means that the eye is pulled in. So the patient has the inability to look out. All right. So next we have cranial nerve number five, also known as the trigeminal nerve. And testing typically involves assessing pain and light touch sensation to the face. So essentially, one may instruct an individual to close their eyes while assessing the sensory aspects of the forehead, cheeks, jaw, and other related areas. Atypical or abnormal findings here may be associated with a loss of sensation or numbness at the examination areas or a triggering response related to trigeminal neuralgia. Another test that could be involved here can be assessing the corneal reflex, which is eyelid closure in response from stimulation of the cornea. We must bring in the facial nerve when testing the corneal reflex as the trigeminal nerve can supply the afferent pathway and then the facial nerve can supply the efferent pathway. And then an atypical or abnormal presentation here could involve the loss of the reflex. Another reflex that can be involved with a trigeminal nerve is the jaw muscle stretch reflex with a normal response of a motion towards mouth closure. An atypical presentation here can involve the presence of hyperreflexia. And the last test related to the trigeminal nerve can be assessing the muscles of mastication. So for example, one may palpate the temporal and masseter muscles as the individual clenches their teeth, along with observing related movements. Atypical or abnormal presentations here could involve any sort of weakness presentation, atrophy, or displays of altered movement patterns, such as a deviation of the jaw. So David went over cranial nerve number six, and we can skip right to cranial nerve number seven. And that's also known as the facial nerve. And here, testing can involve the assessment of motor function for the facial muscles, such as elevation of the eyebrows, smiling, frowning, closing of the eyes, and other related movements. An atypical or abnormal presentation here could involve difficulty with any of those movements, such as the difficulty with closing of the eye, drooping of the corner of the mouth, and the lack of forehead wrinkling as examples. We can also refer back to the corneal reflex as we recall that the afferent pathway can be the trigeminal nerve and the efferent pathway can be the facial nerve. One may also assess taste to the anterior two thirds of the tongue and an atypical or abnormal presentation could be the inability to correctly identify the presented taste. Next is cranial nerve eight which is vestibular cochlear. Testing is done by assessing if a patient can hear something, such as a ticking clock. You can also perform Weber's test to test the lateralization, or Rene's test to compare air and bone conduction. In addition to this, you can perform a balance and coordination test. A possible abnormal finding for Weber's test would be unilateral conductive loss, which would be sound lateralized to the impaired ear, Another abnormal finding would be sensorineural loss, which is sound heard in the good ear. 
Possible abnormal findings for Renee's test include conductive loss, which is sound heard through the bone is equal to or longer than air. Another possible abnormal finding would be sensory neural loss. Other possible common abnormal findings would be deafness, impaired hearing, and tinnitus. Now let's briefly discuss how to perform balance and coordination tests. You would assess balance by performing the vestibulospinal reflex, VSR, which is used to stabilize the, the body. You can also use a caloric stimulation to test the vestibular ocular reflex, which is the VOR, and also by testing the ability of the eyes to follow a moving object. Possible abnormal findings would include vertigo, disequilibrium, gaze instability with head rotations, and nystagmus. All right, so next we have cranial nerve number nine, also known as the glossopharyngeal nerve, and then cranial nerve number 10, also known as the vagus nerve. Now, both of these nerves share some similarities across references in regards to testing, such as assessments of the cough reflex, the gag reflex, the ability to swallow, and phonation. Some atypical or abnormal presentations can involve an absent gag reflex, dysphonia, and dysphagia. In some references, taste to the posterior third of the tongue can be looked at as more of the glossopharyngeal nerve, and an atypical or abnormal presentation here could be the inability to correctly identify the presented taste. And then in some resources, the motion of the soft palate may be displayed more under the vagus nerve, and an atypical or abnormal presentation can involve deviation of the soft palate. So now we can move on to cranial nerve number 11, also known as the spinal accessory nerve. Now the spinal accessory nerve provides innervation to the sternocleidomastoid and trapezius muscles. So essentially testing typically involves noticing and comparing each side's muscle bulk and then testing the muscle's function. For the trapezius, one may examine the strength of a shoulder shrug, while for the sternocleidomastoid, one may examine the strength of head rotation. And as a reminder, a unilateral sternocleidomastoid contraction can promote ipsilateral lateral flexion along with contralateral head rotation. And if we move into an abnormal finding associated with the spinal accessory nerve, we can note that with a unilateral lower motor neuron involvement, one may note atrophy and ipsilateral weakness, specifically looking at difficulty with contralateral head rotation, difficulty with ipsilateral shoulder elevation, difficulty raising the arm past 90 degrees, and a scapular position that may be more caudal and lateral. With a bilateral involvement, one may note the difficulty with holding the head upright. And lastly, cranial nerve 12, which is hypoglossal. Testing is typically done by listening to the patient's articulation, examining resting position of the tongue, and examining tongue movements. Possible abnormal findings would be dysarthria, which can be seen with lesions of cranial nerve 5, 7, 10, and 12. When examining the resting position of the tongue, atrophy or fasciculations of the tongue can be seen in lower motor neuron conditions. Also, ALS. Examination of the tongue movement, revealing impaired tongue movements, such as a deviation to the weaker side, if there is an upper motor neuron lesion, then the tongue deviates away from the side of the cortical lesion. Here's a quote from Vince Lombardi. The only place 
Success comes before work is in the dictionary. So what that means is right now, as you're listening, when you stop listening, you got to keep putting in that work. Keep on fighting for your dream and go all in. Are you looking for extra guidance? Are you a DPT student or a foreign trained physical therapist not confident in your current preparation for this NPTE? Final Frontier offers its unparalleled licensed study partner, small group tutoring services. This service is only open to full life course students, and also it's only open to study bundle students. You will meet for at least three hours each week for the entire cohort, which is about three months. Your licensed study partner will work with you to help develop an individual study program, conquer your doubts, and pass this upcoming NPTE. Visit npteff.com slash enroll to begin working with your licensed study partner today. Thank you very much for listening. For more information on NPTE Final Frontier, please visit npteff.com. You can also check us out on all of our other social media platforms, such as Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We hope this episode discussing the testing of cranial nerves was helpful, and we look forward to you joining us here next time for the NPTE Final Frontier podcast. Thank you.